following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little. Hello, welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm your host, Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network. Are you weary of the frenzy of producing and consuming? So many of us are caught in what I call the work more, spend more trap. Our recent guest, Chad Myers, described it like this. I have to have money to buy stuff. In order to have money, I have to have a job. In order to have a job that pays enough for all my stuff, I have to work too hard. Maybe not be truly present to my family. Maybe move around and break my social connections to follow the job, to follow the money. So basically, we're working too hard in ways that are alienating to family and community in order to get money to buy stuff, most of which, if we're deeply honest with ourselves, we don't really need in the first place. Almost all of us who have more than we need to simply live are caught in this exhausting cycle. We're too busy overscheduled and overcommitted. We are too distracted and have problems focusing. It wears us out physically and emotionally. It erodes our relationships with our families and friends, even our relationship with God. But the pull of the cycle is incredible. Even when we see that we are caught in it and want our lives to be different, escape from the trap can seem impossible. But it is possible. Today's three guests will share some of the insights and strategies that they've used to slow down a bit, helping them to remember who they are and whose they are. Our first guest is Matthew Caldwell, who currently serves as pastor of Knox Presbyterian Church in Pasadena, California. Matt is the author of Sabbath Economics, Household Practices, a multifaceted guide to living out the biblical vision of God's economy today. A former auto mechanic and teacher at Fuller Theological Seminary, he has spoken around the country on immigration, biblical economics, spiritual practices, and church revitalization. Thank you, Matt, for being with us. Welcome. Good to be here. Hey, Matt, you've written that uh, one of the core principles of living in God's economy of enough for all is to consistently observe Sabbath. Now, just to be clear, what do you mean by observing Sabbath? Well, you know, the original definition of Sabbath, going back to the Hebrew word Shabbat, really means just to cease or to stop. And so this notion of stopping work or ceasing uh, activity 
uh, at least the income-generating activity uh, is uh, really a core part of it. And then there's also the principle going back to the uh, Ten Commandments of stopping work specifically for a day of rest. That is, Sabbath is this notion of one day of rest within a week of rest has broader ramifications as well. Land and uh, other uh, aspects of life were given rest periods as well, but a core principle, a building block of that is this rest incorporated into the weekly rhythm. Gotcha. Now, you know who we are, Faith and Money uh, Network. Why do you think it's important that we practice uh, this uh, Sabbath as we are connecting our faith and our money? I think there's at least two reasons that it particularly applies to money. Uh, One of those is that Sabbath offers space for reflection, for renewal, for the kind of spiritual growth and vitality that can then impact all of the decisions we make in life, including uh, financial decisions. But then also uh, this notion of limits and of rest that is built into the notion of Sabbath seems to me to have a very important application to how we spend to believe that our economic activity should have uh, limits. That is, there's such a thing as too much, too much income, too much of what we spend. That is, we that there's it's important to build in uh, rest and uh, stopping points to that kind of activity and to yeah. even uh, how we use and interact in the financial world. Hmm. I'm curious in your own personal life, was there an event uh, that uh, you know that that taught you this lesson? Yeah, I think there have been a number, but one of the most significant for me uh, came about two years into my first ordained call. I was serving as an associate pastor at a church in the Northeast, a large church with a lot of uh, very sort of high activity, uh, higher Mm -hmm. income community. And uh, near about two years in, was feeling myself burning out. It was feeling like the the activity level, the demands on my schedule were just too great, was getting depressed, was extraordinarily difficult, I'm sure, for my wife to live with, uh, (laughs) and was also feeling the challenge of communicating the gospel in that kind of space when I wasn't uh, feeling a, a deep sense of connection with God or with the very call that had brought me into it. I was spending a lot of time working with youth who were themselves feeling stressed. That was a big piece we'd talk about in at youth meetings as uh, high schoolers would feel the stress of homework, of uh, relationships, of life, of all the sorts of different commitments they'd have. And rather than being able to speak good news into that uh, or help them really discover uh, what God might be up to in their lives, I was wrestling with the same thing myself. So one of the things that saved uh, my ministry was the real rediscovery of Sabbath and the commitment to practice it. Uh, Chad Myers was one of the uh, key individuals who challenged me at that time to uh, reflect and to take some time to think about call and ministry. I ended up being a part of a clearness committee, a tradition that comes out of the Quakers 
where you spend a day just sitting and wrestling with a particular question. And it really came to a point for me at that time of asking, am I called to ministry for the longer term when I'm feeling this frenzy and uh, dissatisfaction and struggle? Uh, So a whole day of just sort of sitting and listening. It's a very Sabbath-oriented activity, but it was a tough one uh, for me at the time. But one of the fruits of that uh, listening, that uh, clearness committee process, was the decision to really uh, hold tight to some spiritual disciplines uh, as if my ministry and life depended on them, which I believe they did. And one of those was the observance of a weekly Sabbath, a weekly day of rest, and hold tight to that. I would guess that uh, as a pastor, you face a a lot of uh, calls on your time and a lot of needs in the church, and um, I know they're all important, so you, you, how have you kept that commitment? If you just really had to put it, it sounds like you had to really put it out there to folks that you need this. Yeah, and I think that many, that people in the church for the most part are uh, sensitive to that if you communicate it, that if you share with them, this is a weekly practice I'm trying to observe, if it's one that I'm encouraging uh, the congregation to observe themselves. Uh, people are, are willing to... Uh, uh, to sort of buy into that. Uh, it's, it's one of the hardest elements about it, I think, is actually not uh, the pushback from the church, but rather my own internal uh, challenge of feeling like, no, I've got I've to visit this person today, or I have to uh, respond to these emails today, uh, when in fact uh, much, of it, much of it can wait. And in fact, the nature of ministry is there's always going to be more that can be done. Uh, and so to to do the work of learning to live with that. Mm. I, I think as I talk with people that uh, most of us would enjoy, you know, living a more Sabbath relaxed life. And uh, it seems like, you know, if this is the case, why do you think it's such a challenge for us? Why do we keep moving so fast? And what are we afraid of, do you think? Yeah, the, the, this basic understanding of Sabbath uh, meaning stop is something I think we're afraid of. I'm afraid of that. It requires uh, me to do the hard work of asking who I am. And uh, that time period I was referring to just a couple years into my ministry, uh, after starting to really hold tight to the Sabbath practice, a conversation I would often have with my wife is, Uh, sort of Matt Pastor versus Matt Person, that I had hurled myself into the identity of Matt Pastor. And when I stopped working and just rested or ceased to do and uh, had to think uh, about who I am, that, that was hard work. That was an uncomfortable space at first to just be human and realize that uh, I uh, have this identity that isn't tied just to my work, but also right. extraordinarily freeing uh, right. to be able to, mm. to feel and be nurtured by that human identity. Mm. I know that uh, some of us involved in, in ministry and social justice work, we can also get sucked into the overworking and you know our excuses that you know they need me and if I stop and enjoy life, I'm going to somehow you know, steal from them, and uh, we're called by God, you know, it says to love our neighbor and to do justice, so how does Sabbath fit into that call? 
Yeah, and on that, uh, on that notion, particularly for those of us who are uh, involved in activism and uh, trying to do good out in the world, I, I love the Thomas Merton quote. I've been nurtured by this quote where he writes that to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything is to succumb to a kind of violence, that it destroys, as he put it, the fruitfulness of our own work, for it kills the root of inner wisdom that makes work fruitful. And I think there's a profound truth to that, that is, uh, work uh, alone, uh, divorced from the wisdom and the insight and the, the, the spiritual vitality that uh, directs it, that is its source, uh, leads invariably to burnout or to losing uh, the purpose of our work in the first place. And if we believe that change is a long-haul process, particularly social change, then nurturing the kind of life and wisdom that will allow us to sustain it for the long haul is, is just crucial. LaDon Sheets, a fellow who was a, a great mentor for Chad and uh, for myself, I remember him sitting down one time when uh, my wife and I had just been married a short time and were kind of asking him, LaDon, you know, you've been in this sort of radical discipleship movement, made these bold decisions with your own life in terms of simple living, in terms of standing up for justice. What would you say to a young couple, you know, it was just about yeah. just new in life, trying to connect faith and, and justice, try to live authentic lives. And he said, I think the biggest challenge for young couples today is to slow down. Mm. And mm. we've held yeah. to that. That, yes. that, is, uh, that is work that we felt is vital to do, and we're not always good at it. But uh, it, it, yeah. I don't know how to do good work, how to be in relationship uh, in a meaningful way without it. Without it, yeah. Hey, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. We'll uh, take a quick break. This is Mike Little, Faith and Money, Making the Connection. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Yeah, welcome back. And we're talking today with Matt Caldwell. As we left the break, he's a pastor of Knox Presbyterian Church in Pasadena, California. And he's, uh, we're talking about Sabbath and the importance of taking care of ourselves so that we can really take care of others and be in, uh, live in this economy that uh, God talks so much about together. And Matt, in your book, uh, Sabbath Economics, Household Practices, you quote church historian Dorothy Bass. Uh, she says, just as society challenges Sabbath, so Sabbath challenges society. Now, that's a new thought for many of us, so I want to repeat it. Just as society challenges Sabbath, so Sabbath challenges society. Matt, how does Sabbath challenge society? You know, in the church, we often talk about being a witness or testifying to our faith and to what God is, kind of life God has called us into. And I think that when uh, individuals, communities today take a day off, it speaks to the broader culture. Uh, when a person in our church chooses to uh, rest on a particular day and say no, uh, people hear that because uh, we face a society that so values productivity and what you uh, accomplish to say that uh, rest and not working is a value to uh, forces uh, the broader society to wrestle with that question. I think of church members who have said, for example, that we won't do something on a Sunday, for example, that we don't do sports on either Sunday mornings or all day Sunday, and that forces uh, other people on their teams or other friends (laughs) they know to ask, wait, people are wrestling with this question of what you do on a Sunday or when people take a day and make it a family day, or say even that I don't do uh, work on this particular day, other co-workers hear that and begin to wrestle with that question in ways they might not have before realized, wait, I have a choice here. Uh, and I, I think that's a powerful testimony, particularly for families that are overscheduled to see some families. And I remember one uh, that I got to know in San Diego that made a day that was a family family day on Sunday afternoons. They just say, this is, we're going to do family time. And people paid attention. Hmm. Yeah, I think it is a, it is quite a witness. We don't think about it always in those terms. And I think it's a, a good reminder. So thank you, Matt. Uh, you really challenged us to look at how important Sabbath is to people of faith. For those of us trying to connect our faith and our money, I think Sabbath seems not just helpful, but cr- but crucial. And yet it's ridiculously difficult to observe Sabbath because we are so overcommitted and overscheduled and, and distracted. So it's a good reminder. Thank you so much, Matt. Good to be with you, Mike. Yeah. We have two more guests today whose lives prove that we can free ourselves from the work more, spend more trap. Freedom maybe doesn't come all at once. The hold is too tight and the trappings are everywhere. But 
Over the 20 years of their marriage, Angela Lincoln and Tim Darst have intentionally, progressively chosen to consume less than is typical in the United States, reducing their stress, shaping their parenting, increasing their joy, and freeing them to work part-time at high-impact jobs. Angela teaches theology at Louisville, Kentucky Catholic Girls High School. Tim is executive director of Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light an organization that mobilizes a religious response to climate change. Angela and Tim, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Hey, you've chosen to live on far less money than many professionals in North America, I would say. And what are the major decisions you've made to reduce your consumption? Well, Mike, I'm a CPA by trade, so I worked in public accounting and saw the corporate world and there were... uh, quite a few pressures to buy a bigger house, uh, move your way up by buying new cars every few years, and that was something early on I decided I didn't want to do. Um, the house that we first bought is the house we still have today, and it and it's, serves us well, and, and I didn't want to buy new cars, too, um, and, and uh, expensive vacations, things like that. Eventually, I got to the point where I was using alternative transportation, uh, things from public transportation and biking, that sort of thing, and decided not to not to replace my car when it was old and didn't run anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So there's been lots of, of choices through the years that I've just not done things. And I yeah. think we've made choices within our house, too, to not renovate or not to buy furniture every few years. Um, those have been important decisions. And then sure. technology's been an impact on us, too, because it's changed so rapidly in our culture, and we've made a lot of choices to not join that movement. Mm. So, for instance, we don't have a cell phone. Gotcha, that has gotcha. kept us from buying one cell phone after another. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what kind of prompted you to get started in this unusual path. What what role does your faith play in these choices? Well, I grew up in a large Catholic family, and uh, there were seven kids, and my mom stayed at home. My dad worked, uh, and we didn't have a lot of money, so I think I learned uh, the value of being frugal and uh, respecting the material possessions that we had. But I think for me, faith became a real part of it when I was in college and had an opportunity to engage in some service experiences, especially in uh, one in Appalachia that I participated in. And when I saw how a lot of people in this world live, it made me question why I had a right to such excess when they didn't have their basic needs met. Hmm. And so that started me on a journey of... um, really looking at what I had, appreciating what I had, and not assuming that excesses were a right. Yeah. You Let's talk about family a minute. You have children. Um, I'm curious, uh, did you worry about imposing your decisions on them? How did does it, your lifestyle, how did it affect your, um, your children? Well, it's interesting. Uh, uh, our youngest, Victoria, she's, she seemed to love, she had this game she loved to play poor. I don't know why, you know, where she got that from, from her early experiences. But she uh, she loved to, to, yeah, live simply. She seemed to really embrace a lot of these concepts. 
Um, with Victoria, we, we adopted Victoria, um, and that was another one of those major decisions uh, about not spending money. We could have done an adoption, an international infant adoption. It would have cost tens of thousands of dollars. Instead, we, we adopted uh, an eight-year-old who, who lived in the city, and uh, uh, there's virtually no cost to that at all. And it was just a decision that we made uh, not to spend huge amounts of money on something that we didn't need it. And she, so she grew up in uh, very meager surroundings, and I think that was uh, her experience. And, and so, so she didn't grow up in, in an area where lots of people had lots of things. Yeah, I know that I've I've even used it myself, and I know uh, others too. That it's kind of a defense mechanism to say, "Well, I can't do that because, you know, it, my children didn't choose this lifestyle," and and so it is. Uh, well, but but we do teach our kids a lifestyle, and sometimes, well, even more so today, I question how parents can teach their children. A, life, a lifestyle of excessive consumption yeah, and feel good true. about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a real responsibility to it. And Victoria didn't seem to resist much as she was growing up. She she appreciated things as they were. I remember one uh, birthday party, I think it was her 10th birthday, and she wanted to have a yard sale with her friends for her party. Oh. So they came over for a slumber party, and we got up early on a Saturday morning, and they all brought stuff to sell. So instead of it costing money, they made money. That's great. But we ended up, I think creativity played a lot into it. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing what was traditional or expected, we were often doing things that were kind of surprising and new. And the little kids especially just thought that was great fun. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very creative. You both uh, work part time. Uh, mm-hmm. How is that possible with all we need today and how expensive everything is? How did when did that decision well, come about? Well, it's interesting in your question. You talk about all the things that we need, and actually, uh, most people uh, things that they think they need, they don't really need. And so that's the first step is is truly coming up with what you need and and what you don't need and. Um, once you meet all of your basic needs, you know, food and shelter and clothing and that sort of thing, you find out you have lots of money left over. So mm-hmm. we uh, we don't really feel like uh, working part-time is, is, you know, really that much of a financial drain. In fact, it's, we, we seem to have more money than we know what to do with mm-hmm. most of the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Do the I'm curious of the choices to live more simply. Uh, they, they seem to have happened over uh, you know a long period of time. How is your life different now than it was at the beginning? I think um, I make the choices with a lot more confidence, and I feel even more joy than maybe I did initially. Uh, less envy, less concern about what other people think in my choices. Um, and the word that I've tended to use over the last five years of this experience has been freedom, mm-hmm. uh, that I feel like this lifestyle has given me more freedom than I would have ever imagined uh, to make decisions for myself uh, and for my family that I want to make uh, and to feel good about the way that I'm living. Yeah. 
and some of the. Could could I give a quick example of that? Sure, please, please. Um, About six years ago, my mom's Alzheimer's had gotten to the point where she could not really live on her own, and our family was making a decision about a nursing home. And um, I was working full-time at that point because I wanted to, um, but I made the decision to go part-time so that I could care for my mom. And it was wonderful that money had nothing to do with that decision. It wasn't like, oh, I have to keep working because we have to pay for this or that. And I was blessed to be at a school that was very accommodating and appreciated the decision I was making. So my mom moved in with Tim and I and lived with us for the last three years of her life. Um, And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also... uh, one of the most fulfilling, and I'm just really, really grateful that I had that opportunity in that time with her. And I wow. think if I had been trapped in a job that, or in a financial situation where I felt like I couldn't do that, I mean, there's no way I could have made that choice. Sure. Wow. That's a powerful story. Uh, folks, we need to take a quick break. This is uh, Mike Little at Faith and money make it a connection. And we're talking about simplifying our life and the freedom that it can give us. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Ready for a unique two-show-in-one package? Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning, as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Yeah, we're talking today with Angela Lincoln and Tim Darst of Louisville, Kentucky, a family that has made uh, a choice to consume less and to enjoy life more. And uh, I wanted to ask you uh, both where you build in flexibility 
into this plan for simpler living. Do you do you ever just let go and buy something that isn't on the plan? How how do you deal with that? Well, we do have we do have a budget, but that's more or less just to help us uh, measure things. <clears throat> but we really feel like we have lots of flexibility. We feel like it. You know, I mentioned before, we feel like we have lots of money, and so that's not really the issue. We feel like, um, um, you know, once we started into these habits, or once we started down these steps, they've become habits, and understanding the importance uh, of why we're doing this, uh, really, we there aren't too many things where we feel like, oh, I wish we could do that, but we, we don't, uh, that sort of thing. Um, we do splurge on things. We'll see a concert in, that's coming to town that we would really enjoy, and yeah, it's, the tickets are more than we might normally spend on entertainment. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll treat ourselves to things. But I have to say, anymore, if I go to the mall to buy something brand new, I have a hard time letting go and doing it just because I know I could probably get it on consignment at a mm-hmm. third of the price, and it's basically the same item. So I have a hard time justifying sometimes new expenditures or feeling good about them. Yeah. You both seem to really enjoy your lifestyle. You, I know you've made a game out of reducing your gas consumption. I heard about that. And you're working at jobs you really love. I know many of us would probably feel deprived without a regular vacation or if we had to ride the bus um, where do you find the joy in your choices? Um, talk a little bit more about that, and what keeps you from feeling deprived? You know, uh, I, I do ride the bus regularly. I also walk regularly, and I found that those are times where uh, it's time for me to be quiet and think. They're rather contemplative times. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have an iPod or anything where I would listen to music, anything like that, so it's quiet times for me to think and, and be more mindful. Uh, to uh, I, I try to foster an, what I call an attitude of gratitude, being thankful for the things that I have and just being observant of, of all the wonderful things around me. So uh, when you say you have to ride the bus, I think it's more I get to ride the bus. And <laughs> right. I, I see people in their cars, you know, stuck in traffic and cussing and that sort of thing, and I'm sitting leisurely uh, just just observing or reading a book or something like that. So it doesn't feel like deprivation at all to me. And our vacations, I know uh, we do a lot of staycations. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we stay in town and, and go to some place. We might even go to a bed and breakfast or uh, a local hotel, that sort of thing. And uh, we really enjoy it. So I, I, I can't imagine, uh, uh, you know, the stress of flying somewhere and, and all of that that goes along with the travel. It just doesn't seem that appealing. Yes, I think our life has become so de-stressed here at home. There's not that pressure or need to leave and go somewhere else for a break. Uh, so that's been refreshing. And to add to a few things that Tim said, I remember one day he came home after a long bus ride. I knew he was going on the other side of town for a meeting. And he came home so excited, and he had in his hand these hand-drawn pictures And I asked him where they came from, and it was a wonderful story he told me about these two little girls he met on the bus and how he was so concerned because there wasn't a parent with them, but he got to talking with them, found out they were the daughters of the bus driver. 
Uh, and the bus driver's care or sitter had called in sick, and she didn't know what to do with them, so she took the kids on the bus all day. So Tim takes this long bus ride with these girls, playing games with them and singing with them and chatting with them. And by the end of it, they had drawn pictures just for Tim, which hung on the refrigerator for a long time. But I think over and over and over again, as we have, it's like when we use public transportation or we take a Greyhound on a vacation or we walk someplace instead of drive, it's our opportunity to open ourselves to the world and the, the wonderful people in it and to experience them. It always makes me sad when people say they feel unsafe taking the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just, I, I just don't even know where to begin to tell them how interesting it is and how many wonderful people that I have met in that experience and how little fear there really should be around all of that. That probably comes from watching too much TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably. Or just fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to say we don't meet some characters on the bus at times. Sure. You know, that there's some people that I'm not quite sure what they're saying or what they mean, but, um, yeah, no cause for fear, though. Do you ever have uh, moments of regret or envy? Or do you, how do you work through those moments? Oh, I don't have any regret at all, but I struggle with envy. I always will, I think. And, it, and a lot of that comes in appearances. I'm 53. I'm almost totally gray. I no longer color my hair. <laughs> uh, and there's times that I'll look at women my age, and they look much younger than I do. Um, and I'll get discounts when it says 65 and older. Don't give me the senior discount. <laughs> I have to kind of chuckle at that, and I'll think, wow, if I just went and got my hair colored every three weeks, you know, I wouldn't have this issue. But what I keep going back to it when I've got moments like that where I do feel envious, I talk myself through it by saying it is a choice that I make, and that I didn't like it when I did color my hair. It was quite the hassle, and I never felt like I could keep up with it appropriately. I didn't necessarily like how it made me look, and then um, it was a burden. So, yes, I could go back and color my hair anytime I choose, but it is not my choice. So when I kind of take ownership of it again, it makes it uh, less of a problem with the envy, but it doesn't mean it still doesn't come up at times. Right, right. Uh, many, many of the consumption patterns I see um, also have a high carbon footprint. And since I work in, uh, uh, in, with an organization that's uh, focusing on reducing our carbon footprint uh, and, and uh, lessening the effect we have on our neighbors for clean air and clean water, that sort of thing, um, it, it doesn't make me want to do those things. So, you know... I don't seem to have that regret or envy uh, when I see other people at uh, high levels of consumption. Yeah. Now that is, and I would add too, that that's sometimes a point where Tim and I disagree with each other uh, because I'll, I'll desire things and he will have no desire for them. And we have to make a decision about whether they come into the home or not. Sure, sure. You're working working together on that, and we're all different people and mm-hmm. yeah, can learn as we as we live with one another, particularly. Exactly. Um, how to do that. If 
someone wanted to set out on this journey today, uh, and you, they were you 20-some years ago, what advice would you offer and maybe what first steps would you recommend? I would say baby steps are important. Um, you know, change is always difficult no matter what you're looking at. And uh, so uh, trying to make radical changes would be very difficult for, for anybody, I would think. And, and we didn't do that. We made very little steps. Um, for instance, in, in working with my car, uh, I wanted to reduce my uh, consumption of gasoline. So I, I made it a game where I was uh, just first... Uh, thing I did was measure, you know, how, how often do I fill up on my tank of, uh, my tank of gas and, and started working on things to make that uh, gas tank last longer by, uh, right. you know, driving more slowly and not taking quick starts and filling up my, uh, the, tear, the tires of my car, that sort of thing. Um, so o- over a long period of time, ever, over several years, I moved from uh, filling up every week to every 10 days. And then I, you know, then I started taking bigger steps, you know, uh, mm. uh, riding the bus or walking to places or changing the choices that I made. Not driving across town for a movie or for dinner, but you know, finding some place in the neighborhood I could walk to, that sort of thing. And over, you know, like a 15-year period, then I was filling up not every week but every month. But mm. it, it clearly wasn't overnight. And so that's what I would say: is, is look at your life and. Start measuring, you know, what it is that you feel like is uh, uh, either adding stress to your life or, or causing problems, uh, something that would free you up and uh, measure it and, and start with small steps. I, I agree with Tim. I think measuring it helps. It makes you feel like you're making some steps. But if there's one thing I could add from my own personal experience, and I've doing, been doing this for about 25 years now, and that's to be grateful for what you have. So every night before I go to sleep, I have a list I keep, and I write down what I'm grateful for from that day. And I've got those lists for decades now. And they're a real reminder to me of how blessed I am, how fortunate I am. And I focus on that rather than seeing uh what we might not have that's presented in this culture is a deprivation. I don't see it that way. I see what I do have is a real gift. And that change in attitude has really helped me. Wow. Good good word, good word. Angela and Tim, we can't thank you enough for sharing sure. your story. I wish we had another two hours. Uh, I know we could learn a lot. and. I know we tend to think of escaping the work more, spend more cycle in terms of what we're getting away from. And you've helped us focus on what we're escaping to, if you will. It's not Mm -hmm. about what we're giving up, but what we're gaining and how life-giving that can be. So thank you very much. All right. Hey, folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Faith and Money Making the Connection. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. It's time to empower our kids so they can make the best decisions now and later in life. 
Listen for I Am For Kids Radio with host Mark Papadis. Mark is the founder of the I Am For Kids Foundation, which is a recognized 501c3 charity committed to revolutionizing elementary education in the U.S. Our show helps kids, teachers, and parents to realize the power of identity and help each of us decide who we are and our place in the world. I Am For Kids Radio is heard live Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit, you'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Hi, this is Mike uh, again at Faith and Money, Making the Connection. And our show today was about uh, uh, learning to uh, get out of the work more, spend more cycle. We uh, first segment with Matthew Caldwell about Sabbath and taking time each uh, on a regular basis to take care of ourselves and to to uh, get away. Uh, and then uh, talking with Angela and Tim about um, concrete ways that we can consume less so that we can take that time for Sabbath and to um, be able to protect our earth more and to uh, live in this economy that God writes so much about in Scripture. And uh, as we said, escape is a process from this cycle, a series of incremental steps toward a goal. So what's the next step that each of us can take toward a life more free of the work more, spend more trap? Well, start by taking one step, however small, to reduce your consumption this week. Is there something you know you spend too much money on? Can you eat out one less time this week? Walk somewhere instead of drive? Do without a new outfit for the weekend's party? Or you could create a challenge like Tim did or a game for yourself to see if you can do it. If you offer yourself a prize for success, make sure it's not something to buy. That would defeat our purpose, wouldn't it? A better prize would be a healthy congratulations, maybe from your child or a friend. That gives the added reward of talking to someone about what your goal is. Perhaps they would even join you in the challenge. Or here's another idea. So many people think they need to go somewhere or do something exotic. In other words, expensive. To have a restful break or see something new to fuel their imagination. If you have a day off coming up, instead of taking a trip, try a staycation. A staycation is a vacation, of course, but you stay home. Because this 
only works outside your normal routine, suspending the cleaning and television watching is important. Instead, do something that's fun to you. Maybe read a book you haven't read uh, for a while or play a board game with your family. Cook your favorite meal and savor it with a friend. Whatever's fun and restorative will work. Alternatively, you could take the day to explore a local park or a museum. You may find being outdoors or seeing some fabulous local art is just the break your spirit needs. Our challenge step for the week, this one's really hard, is to unplug for a day. And by unplug, I mean unplug everything. One day you're not at work, unplug the TV, all your computers, even your cell phone. Think you can do it? No TV news? Don't worry, you can catch up on the news tomorrow. No social media? Your friends will still be there tomorrow. No commercials? You can enjoy for a whole day a sense of not wanting something more. For today, allow yourself just to be. For today, allow yourself to live outside the work more, spend more trap. Plan your escape. Imagine your future in God's economy. And hey, let me know how it's going by sending me an email at mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. It's always inspiring to hear the creativity of others. Hey, folks, thanks for uh, tuning in today. Thank you for sharing this time with us. You are now part of the Faith and Money Network joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity, and of action, grounded in love. Blessings on the journey. Thank you for joining us this week on Faith and Money, Making the Connection. Please tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, for another edition with your host, Mike Little, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.